Hello, my fabulous chai drinkers. How are you? Welcome to episode seven of season three of the show, coming to you from Washington, DC. I'm your host, Anusha Hussain. We hear so much talk about diversity in the media, but every now and then there is a journalist who becomes iconic just by doing their job. And when that person is a person of color, well, that's even better. And no one has managed to do that in cable news with a bigger splash more than our guest today. I am talking about CNN's Manu Raju. Raju is an American journalist who serves as the chief congressional correspondent at CNN, covering the United States Congress and campaign politics. Raju previously reported for Politico as a senior Capitol Hill correspondent and for other DC news outlets as well. Raju has developed a reputation for finding out what politicians are discussing behind the scenes. On January 6, 2021, Raju was broadcasting inside the U.S. Capitol during the attack on the building, reporting real-time events as they were unfolding nearby him. In 2017, Raju was featured on the cover of India Abroad newspaper, which dubbed him the King of the Hill for his reporting on key decision makers in the United States. And he is our guest today on Spilling Chai. Hello and welcome to the show, Manu. Hi, Manu. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much. Um, So I wanted to ask you, of course, first of all, if you have any family in India, you know, I grew up, I'm from Bangladesh. I grew up next door in Dhaka. And I wanted to know if you have any family in India right now and how are they doing? Yeah, we do, uh, we have a lot of family. I mean, my parents, you know, they immigrated here to the U.S. in the early 70s, early and mid 70s. And, you know, they're all their cousins and many of their, my aunts and uncles and their kids and grandkids. And many of them are all over India. A lot of them are in Bangalore, which is where my grandparents lived uh, when they were around. And a lot of them are in different parts than Mysore. Some are in Mumbai. And, you know, we have been checking in pretty regularly with uh, all of our family there. You know, knock on wood at the moment, people seem to be okay. You know, there is just such an intense lockdown for folks who have not been vaccinated and just you know, they are inside, as they tell me, all day long. They don't leave the house. And, you know, there's still, we have some concerns because there are some family members who have some pre-existing conditions and are el- an elder, so they're older family members. So we're concerned about them too. But hope at the moment there are people seem to, you know, my, our family seem to be making it through it. So, but it's just so scary and so sad and w- w- what's happening out there. It's so scary. You know, in February, I had a quick window to go see my parents in Taka after like a year and a half. So I took it and everybody was kind of acting like they had the same overconfidence as India. You know, they kind of were feeling like they had turned a corner. And then I think the case is just exploded. Yes. But speaking of your family in India, your late grandfather, Gopala Krishna Adiga, is a legendary poet. Yes. From South India. I did not know this. He was editor of Sakshi magazine and is credited with helping to bring Kannada literature to the masses. Were you close to him? Talk to me a little bit about him. You know, yeah, he, you know, he passed away in, in 92. So, you know, I was 12 years old at the time when he passed away. But we used to go to India pretty regularly when we were kids, you know, every two to three years, and we'd spend months at a time uh, at my grandparents' house. So, you know, I got to know him really well when I was a kid, and I really looked up to him and revered him, and I knew how much people respected him, his writing, and how his writing was 
studied widely in Karnataka state and uh, for folks studying Kannada literature. My dad often compares him to T.S. Eliot in terms of stature in literature. Wow. You know, this is my mom's dad and uh, my parents, you know, my dad, you know, said before he even met my mom, he was, you know, well aware and just in read and studied and respected my grandfather's writing. So, you know, meeting my mom was a thrill for him uh, because he really <laughs> looked up to my, to my grandfather. Uh, That's great. So, you know, so... Some people in my family say that's, you know, one reason why, you know, I ended up in a less traditional field than a lot of Indian <laughs> kids uh, uh, because, you know, the writing genes uh, from my grandfather, he wrote in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, people have translated his poems, but, you know, when you translate the poems, it kind of loses a little bit. Never the same. Never quite the same. Exactly. My parents really try, have tried to translate themselves and have actually published some of his writings in English. So, you know, my Canada reading skills aren't, aren't uh, the greatest. So, you know, it's nice to have the, uh, the translation, the English translation. But, you know, he was, uh, he was a really well-respected person. And, it's, it's, and I still hear about it, a lot about him from, you know, folks who they'll realize that I, you know, I'm Gopal Krishnadiga's uh, grandson. And they say, oh, I read about, I, read, I used to read his work in, in school. And, you know, and so you know, I still hear about it today, even though, you know, he's, he's passed, uh, for been passed for a few decades now. That's so great. Oh, so you worked at your college newspaper, the Badger Herald yes. at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. What was that like? Would you say you picked up the journalism bug there? Yeah, no question about it. I mean, really, when I was in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for college. And I really had no idea. And, you know, actually, I was, I decided to pursue a a business degree. And I actually got a business degree from the University of Wisconsin. I grew up in the Chicago area. And, you know, when I was growing up, I loved sports. I was playing sports in in high school. And also, you know, my parents got me involved in our our temple, Hindu temple. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got more involved in my youth group in high school and I was helping run the uh, youth organization at the temple. And I was like, you know, I kind of like this business management thing. And, you know, maybe that's why I want to go the business route. So I went the business route in Wisconsin, but then I also wanted to kind of do something on the side and my interest in sports. Maybe I'll go and see if I could take an extracurricular and write for the student paper. And, you know, my brother in his college, he wrote for his student paper. And I was like, you know, he liked it. Maybe I'll like it too. So I went to the Badger Herald um, when I was freshman year and I said, hey, you know, can I write sports? Do you guys have any room for a sports writer? And they, they said, sure, why not? You know, like, <laughs> whatever. So then I just started... I just started uh, covering random sports stories, whether it was soccer, whether it was, you know, I, you know, hockey, whether it was swimming or football, football was later. Cause that's, that was the big sport, of course. So like, you know, I got more and more involved and as I got more involved, I started liking more, you know, by my junior year, I became the sports editor of the paper. And then I took some internships on journalism internships on the side, even as I continued to pursue business because I didn't really know if I wanted to become a journalist. I still kind of viewed it as like a fun thing I did on the side because I got to go to sporting events and stuff for free. It was great seats. (laughs) And then, you know, I took a couple of internships, journalism internships at NBC News, one in LA, one in Madison. And, but by the time I graduated, about to graduate, I was like, you know, maybe this journalism thing, 
it was kind of fun. Maybe I want to go this route. So, you know, I, you don't need a journalism degree to be a journalist, yes. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> even though, uh, so, you know, which horrified the Indian parents. Yes, uh, I can imagine. Said, well, <laughs> like, should you be getting your master's? Should you be getting, you know, <laughs> you don't really need your master's. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting your master's, but you don't really need it. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, you know, by the time I graduated, you know, I decided I'm going to try it out. And then that's kind of, you know, how I decided to pursue this field. Do you think that because you kind of came from like a literary background, your parents were maybe a little bit more accepting of it than maybe other brown parents? <laughs> would have been? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Huh? You know, I'm not, I think that might be something to do with it. I mean, my, my dad too, even though my dad's a doctor, you know, he, but he always liked literature and writing and he says that he wanted to be a poet too. So, um, you know, and he, he writes a lot of medical, you know, he's written, he's been published writing uh, various books. And so he, um, you know, so I think he, he, he definitely saw the interest there. And my mom, she didn't push me to do anything to her credit. Uh, probably would have preferred initially for me to become a doctor or engineer. <laughs> so, but, you know, <laughs> to their credit, they did, they did say, you know, you should pursue what you want. So, uh, so that was, uh, that was a good thing. So, that is so important. Yeah. I mean, they took, my dad used to take me to his hospital and I would make the, go on his rounds sometimes as I was, even college, as I was maybe thinking about seeing if medicine was something I'd go for, but it just never really felt like the right fit. Wow. Yeah, you can totally feel it. There has been so much conversation, obviously, recently about diversity in mainstream American media, you know, making it more inclusive, everything that happened with George Floyd last year. Do you think things are getting better? It's I mean, it's changed so much just in the past two years alone. What was it like when you were starting out? You know, it has gotten better in terms of diversity. It has still got a ways to go on all that levels. I mean, you know, I'm still in the press corps right now, in the congressional press corps. I mean, there really are a handful of uh, South Asians. There are a handful of Asian Americans, you know, the handful of African Americans. You know, it's still largely overwhelmingly white press corps. And through all aspects of media, it's getting better. You know, I think I think at CNN, they definitely try to, especially on air, uh, ensure that there are various people who have different, you know, ethnic backgrounds on air. So it's not a very homogenous panel discussion. You really just don't see that much on our air anymore. You know, when I I first started, it was just in in the media in general, it was even more so. I mean, there were fewer, you know, women in prominent positions, it was mostly men and not many minorities. But I, th- I think the, me, the field is trying to move in that direction. It takes time to get there. And I think it helps having people who have different viewpoints understand different issues differently from their own personal backgrounds, you know, and it helps shape our coverage accordingly when people have a real understanding about how some of these issues really impact people. So yeah, I think it's gotten better, but you know, I think there's still just so many ways to go. When you were starting out, did you have any idea what you were doing? Because before you, there was really nobody like you. I mean, I was, I lobbied on the Hill for years and you just don't see that many people of color, let alone to see like a Desi reporter like yourself. So when you kind of got this beat, did you have any idea that you were breaking so many barriers or were you just doing your thing? You know, it's one of those things that I didn't really think a lot about, you know, and I still kind of don't. And maybe it's just kind of the way that I've uh, 
assimilated into American culture and I just don't really think about it. But, you know, as I've gotten more prominent on television, people have made that point to me very clear that, you know, you're just really not one of the, yeah. one of the, you're there's just not many people like you who are doing this, you know? Yeah, there really is. There really isn't in terms of, you know, political reporters and certainly to such a big network like CNN. So, you know, it's, I kind of view it as like, you know, it's a responsibility in a lot of ways. You should present yourself, you know, because if, if not many people are seeing you, people like you, they'll immediately stereotype. Not yeah. You know, some people may, may stereotype and say, well, everyone must be like that person because yes. I, that's the one person that I see. Exactly. So if I come across as someone that nobody likes, then they may think that of a lot of all Indian people yeah. are like that. And that's exactly. certainly something I don't want. So. <laughs> so it's a lot of pressure too. You have yeah. some pressure. Yeah. And I kind of just feel like I just need to be myself and try not to be someone who I'm not. And, you know, and I think, and just try to, you know, be fair to people. You know, I think I really tried to, in my reporting, um, try to come across as, and, and try to report evenly, give both sides ample opportunity to make their cases, uh, not try to surprise people when I report something negatively about them, give them time to respond and uh, reflect their viewpoints accordingly in my articles and in my television reports. So like, you know, I just think that's, that all helps in terms of, developing a reputation as a reporter more broadly, certainly people may, the fact that I'm one of the few, I think reflects on our broader community. So, you know, it's something that I have to keep in mind. I've come to realize over the years. You have been reporting on so many, you know, breaking stories, especially in the last administration. And before that, what was one of the coolest experiences you had on the Hill or when you were reporting that you were like, yes, this is a big story. I can feel it. You know, those are always hard questions for me to answer. I, I'll give you a couple of examples, but like, you know, because we're always so in the moment yeah. that I have a hard time remembering stuff that I might have done, you know, like, <laughs> like five years ago, let alone uh, five minutes ago. But, um, you know, I think that there, I've covered so many big stories that are central to the the news uh, agenda you know, that are driving the news coverage. You know, covering the, the first impeachment, you know, one story kind of sticks out that there was this, uh, it was a big day in closed door congressional testimony because, and it was such a hard story to report because these were classified witnesses going behind closed doors in a classified setting. And it was very hard to get any information about what was happening. Yet there was such an intense interest about what the witnesses were saying, you know, and there was a big moment in which one witness was suddenly came out of nowhere. He was a witness from the uh, Ukrainian in the Ukrainian U S diplomat in, in the Ukraine for the U S and he went behind closed doors and revealed a private conversation that Donald Trump had with the ambassador to the European Union about, you know, investigating Joe Biden. And wow. that was one of the most significant pieces of information that had come out during the impeachment trial. So, but no one knew any of that. But I got, a, you know, a copy of his remarks from a source. And like, I got it, you know, and within like, I was, you know, I found it in, and I got, and I'm sitting fine. I got it from my, you know, from reporting, and I went on air and live and just basically read the testimony on air with, for the first time myself. Wow! And so it was a long, it was like you know, 25 page document. So I had to like, we had to really find, read through it quickly, figure out what we wanted to say, find the relevant passages, 
get it out to the network, report it on air, oh explain gosh. the significance. And like, while everyone, all my competitors were standing there watching me because they didn't <laughs> have the information. So, <laughs> so that's an exciting moment because you're able to provide viewers and readers with information they would not ordinarily have if it weren't for your reporting. Yeah. And everybody helps drive the conversation, the narrative, and keeps people informed about stuff that they, they wouldn't have any information or access to. So, you know, that, that kind of jumps out. That is a very cool story. <laughs> yeah, moments like that are the ones that really make things make the job worth it. Oh, how exciting. Oh my goodness. I got an adrenaline rush out of that. Okay. On my last question, I know we're on a time crunch. So India abroad, <laughs> yeah, the most important publication ever, uh, once called you the king of the hill. Yeah. What inspires you to do the work that you do? So, you know, I think it's really, you know, what drives me the most is just being able to figure out something that people don't want to tell you and being able to get that piece of information and tell it uh, the world. You know, <laughs> as, as Bob Woodward once said, and it really stuck with me once, is that he said, he said, you know, I fear what I don't know. And, you know, I really kind of feel that same thing too. I think that, you know, people in power oftentimes don't want to tell us stuff that's happening, that, but it is have as directly relevant to what's going to happen and affect people's lives. And yeah. it is incumbent on us as reporters to figure out what really is going on. So that's what really drives me, to figure out what's going on and to tell people that because otherwise they wouldn't have any knowledge about what was happening. So that's what keeps me me going here and you know working as hard as possible to, to get that kind of information. I love that. What a great place to end the interview, Manu. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. And Tara, thank you for making this happen. Wonderful. Well, thanks for thinking about me and thanks for offering. Yes. Have a good one. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much. My first job out of UVA landed me on Capitol Hill as a feminist policy analyst lobbying on global health legislation. When I found myself in the heart of the U.S. government, I felt so out of place and intimidated. Everyone was so white and so male. That's what I love the most about a career like Manu Raju's. It simultaneously shows us how far we have to go and how far we have come. If you enjoyed this episode of Spilling Chai, don't forget to check us out on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social at Spilling Chai Podcast. And until next time, let's keep spilling the chai.